the future of photography. Hello and welcome everyone. This is Chris Marquardt. We're back with another episode of the future of photography. And uh, today, yeah, there was a bit of tumbleweed here. We, <laughs> we were planning to have an episode with all four of us. And then it was an episode with all three of us because someone spent like six hours in the home office on uh, video conferences and was exhausted. And then another person um, was kind of not not up to recording today so it's just uh, myself and jeremiah hey jeremiah yeah we're here hanging in uh, self-isolating and um <laughs> it's the 25th of of march we're recording this and and we are kind of experiencing um the global world cultural economic social change yeah we are and where we end up in the future we do not know but <laughs> one thing we do know there will be photography. Which is true. And we're recording this episode almost a week in the past. So, so you know, when you hear this, <laughs> who knows? Yeah, who knows? Let's, um, let's just dive into the topic. Uh, it is about our, as you saw on the, on the title, our influences. The, and, and I really wish we could have done this with all the four of us because we, we might have to do a repeat with Adrian and Imar. Yeah, here we go. Uh, photographic influences. And uh, Jeremiah, do you want to go? Should I go? I can kick. Let's 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 have you go because the names you uh, have on the list, I think, are the are more well known, and mine might be a bit of a hidden gem. So uh, let's put this to the end. Uh, my my very first major influence was a photographer called Edward Weston. Um, you know, he was born in 1886 uh, in Illinois, and you know he really was a out of Chicago. But he he worked a lot in the West in California. He settled, and um, he was working as a surveyor for um, I think the government and the railroad. Um, but he began photographing all kinds of workers. Then he became fascinated by landscapes and and his his work um fundamentally was all eight by ten so very very considered uh his relationships with uh artists um mexican artists etc um were you know uh, produced a tremendous amount of uh fascinating portraiture which at the time was was very um informal in terms of the aesthetic, but um, using the 8x10, he managed to create, uh, I think, visual masterpieces, which, which influenced me as I was uh, getting serious about becoming a photographer. And when I saw his prints, that's really what, uh, what blew me away. Um, his print work is extraordinary. And it's it, his son Brett Weston, who continues to photograph and and print both his own work and his father's work, um, is extraordinary. In fact, just coincidentally to this podcast, um, when we were allowed out of our homes, um, our fantastic gallery here in, in you know, West LA, in California, Peter Fetterman had a a amazing landscape show and included. Uh, the Westons in it. Um, the other photographer, and we can 
you know, I'll do a little deep dive in a, in a bit, is Irving Penn. Uh, for very different reasons. Um, I, I like the fact that Irving Penn would travel the world and and photograph indigenous people in New Guinea, for example, against very neutral gray backgrounds, canvas, which often he held in the photograph itself. Penn was also influential because he also uh, was an extraordinarily um, um, successful commercial photographer uh, in New York. Um, for fashion specifically, did a lot of campaigns there. And his work, um, I embrace his work because he was a master printer, he worked in dye transfer, um, in silver prints, and ultimately in platinum palladium. Um, and his work would be, it ranged from photographing uh, cigarette butts and printing them large uh, in platinum palladium and then photographing the slickest, most beautiful models in New York. So he his range of work was spectacular and that drew me to him. At Weston as well, I found myself very interested in photographers who moved beyond a single style but embraced the style that was necessary to bring the best of an image or an aesthetic forward. And those two artists, uh, photographers, really created for me a road to follow in terms of their obsession with printing, but their obsession with seeing the world um, in the widest possible sense. So both of those, um, you said uh, you came to them mostly over their print work. So is that the, the, the physical manifestation yeah. of their photography? Is that important? For me, the, the print is ultimately very, very important. Um, I, you know, I think I began my, my kind of artistic journey as a printer, um, initially as a lithographer. Um, and then later as a photo printer, and then came to taking pictures um, and working diligently at creating um, what I felt were really beautiful prints. Um, though I, I completely embrace um, experiencing photography uh, on screen, uh, for me there's nothing more amazing than actually holding a print in one's hand. It's a very different experience. Um, photography, we know, can be experienced, you know, as projections, uh, as virtual, um, as uh, augmented reality. Uh, there's so many different ways to experience a captured image, but holding a, a print that is um, just, I guess, uh, art artisanally beautiful for me holds a, a, a distinct magic. I don't know why, but it does. And that really still continues to influence my work now. The the, the physical image um, for me has a, has a similar effect. Um, that's, that's pretty much what brought me into 4x5 photography. When I, I knew I wanted to shoot large format when I held a, a 4x5 slide in my hands and looked at it against the sky. That's when I fell for it. Do you do you, um, do you continue to use four by five in your work 
Um, at this point, uh, every now and then, not regularly though, but uh, I feel I'm missing. I'm missing out. I need to incorporate it much more in the future. I I, I feel so um, similar to you. Um, my I think my first camera that I purchased was a Speed Graphic, um, which I I got you know on the cheap. And um, really learned it, and I did because I know Weston was a, a large format photographer, as was Penn. Um, and the the careful study of composition and care in capture um, really um, affected how I started to see the world. Um, but being an impatient man, I. <laughs> slowly devolved or, or 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 expanded my my capture uh, to include all manner of cameras which I I use now but uh, like you I do yearn for the you know the 8 by 10 or the or the 4 by 5 just to settle down and go slow I know we did a podcast several uh, months ago about slow photography and I I do think there is um such benefit um to approaching photography like that, you don't need an eight by ten camera to slow yourself down, but the you know the large format will force you to do so, and that creates a whole different uh, aesthetic. And if you're photographing people, a very very different um, relationship between you and your uh, subject. Yeah, and it's it's um, maybe this is the right time now that we are kind of relegated to the house to. Uh, to look deeper into that again. Yeah, I've been I've been toying with the you know with with doing a a project wherein I would just take my large format camera and photograph my house and my studio it, like in detail every which way and just see what happens. You know the corners, the way light falls on a table. You know small little notions. Um, I wonder. If if that would just create a um, a new relationship with one's photography and where one lives, and and that sounds like a very Western thing to do. <laughs> I mean, if we look at at Edward Weston, who who spent so much time studying things just at home in a corner somewhere with his camera. So I think, uh, yeah, sounds like a good approach to me. Yeah, one thing I did. Um, emulate uh he he spent a lot of time in in big sur and and photographed um i think tina madoti and and many other artists and his his wife on the beaches of um of pfeiffer beach which is um one of the most beautiful beaches in america and it's not it's not the kind of beach that you go swimming in it, it it's it's sandy but it's also craggy rocky and has amazing um hollowed out rocks from thousands of years of the sea pounding it and the way the light falls on it and and it's not um very uh easy to get to even when you're in big sir um and i've i've did a folio um on you know on the beach um which is on my website and as a homage to Weston. Wonderful. So, <laughs> um, should I dig out my photographer? Yes, I'm holding my breath. So, <clears throat> incidentally, he's he's also, uh, or he used to shoot a lot of 4x5, 
with his Linhoff. And he's a contemporary photographer, German photographer. Um, and his name is Jim Rakete, which translates to rocket. It's his last name. It's his actual real last name. And uh, he's, he's a very he's got a very colorful history um so I will, i'll take you a little bit into the german music history um into music photography first because that's what where, where it pretty much comes together for him and um he comes from west berlin he as in his teens he was a photojournalist and also a bit of a musician a drummer and he turned into kind of a musician's photographer and shot a lot of album covers and I mean you know the the LP cover is like a huge big piece of real estate there's so much space on that and um, his visuals were quite a, quite important for the German new wave which happened in the early 80s which incidentally is a, my my forming years in terms of music taste and so I grew up in that time and uh, um, the The covers that he shot, kind of, uh, I had no idea that it was the same guy who shot a lot of these covers. And he was not only a photography, uh, photographer of musician, um, he also got into producing. And uh, he's the early uh, Nina, Nina Hagen, for example, you surely know her. Mm, yeah, sure. Um, Nina Hagen's uh, covers, that's uh, his work. But not just that, he became the band manager for the Nina Hagen band. And uh, so he moved from being a photographer into being a music manager. And uh, then at one point, Nina Hagen went solo, but her band kind of turned into their own thing. It's a German band named Spliff, which hardly anyone outside of Germany knows. Um, if you want to see one of his photos, very gritty, black and white, high contrast work, uh, put, put, Put the search term The Spliff Radio Show into Google Image Search and you will get the cover. Um, that's the kind of stuff that formed my... Yeah, I, I like the way he used he used uh, focal lengths, he used different, um, a very different kind of black and white that I was used to. And then he got more bands on board. He got uh, a band called Interzone, which had some international... Um, success, Ido Zanke. But then the next big name was uh, Nena, which most Americans know um, from her song 99 Red Balloons, which was quite a big thing in the 80s. Um, and uh, she actually started at Jim Rakete's um, studio as a secretary. So she then became a singer. She became world famous and wow. he managed her throughout that early part of her career. Um, and uh, after helping kick off or, or discover several like big German bands, which were more local to Germany in the 80s, and then it, towards the end of the 80s, he left music um, and focused back on photography since then and moved on to commercials and fashion, shot... Um, ah, what is it? Oh, Tangerine Dreams, Melrose album. That's That cover is by him. Uh, lived in Hollywood for a while, shot video clips, commercials, documentaries, and stuff, and uh, uh, shot a lot of a lot of famous people: Jimi Hendrix and David Bowie. Great portraiture, really love his portraiture. Uh, Mick Jagger, lots of names. He photographed Pe Pe Peter Lindbergh. 
He did photograph Peter Lindbergh. He photographed right. Christoph Waltz. He's photographed Quentin Tarantino, Wim Wenders. So he was in that scene. Um, and he's now going on, I think, 70 and uh, still producing a lot of very strong work. So his photography... I, 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 for the longest time, I wasn't sure where some of my tastes came from and some of my influences. But at one point, I realized it was his work because I grew up with it. I had it around me all the time. An album cover is just a wonderful piece of real estate that you get in front of young people and you can influence them. Yeah. Uh, I miss them. <laughs> me too. <laughs> I miss them. So that's, that's, that's one of my influences not not a not a not a photographer that is well known uh but a lot of the stuff that he's done is well known so a lot of the people yeah. are well known. i mean his portrait of klaus maria brandauer is absolutely alive i mean it's fantastic you know it really is an actor's image yeah i've seen the documentary about him where a, a documentary filmmaker followed him around for for a couple of weeks and uh, followed him around and looked over his shoulder in some photo sessions and just the way he works with people he's very he's very fast he's very quick he's he he i mean he had his camera set up he had an assistant loading cassettes and handing him fresh cassettes and he was shooting like 10 12 shots four by five of someone and it really felt like um you know it it, it was a very a very quick quick process but he still managed to hit those exact spots, the, the exact timing to get exactly what he wanted. So, um, well, very good. He, very, very, very satisfying to watch. Well, here's a question, and it, it's a question really about the future of photography. And, and it's about how we carry our influences that really propelled us uh, to become f photographers into how we evolve into our future work or present work as it continues to push forward, how we carry those with us and how we become, in a way, conduits from the past to the future through our influences. Well, for me, for me, I think uh, I really managed to, to take some of that work on or, or channel some of that work, if, if, uh, if I may, um, after I realized that that's, that, that subconscious influence was there. It it had to really come to the point where I understood that where where some of the things came from, um, some of the ways I look at things, some of the ways, some some of the reason I find certain visuals more satisfying than others, and and but just realizing that that is one of my influences that helped me to research it more, to go in, into more depth about him, and uh, and dig out some of the things that. Um, that I I recognize in myself, and then I th that I can then take forward. Do you find yourself uh, every once in a while going back to your very very early work and um, re-editing them or reprocessing them? Yes, yes, um, yes, yes, and 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 seeing how the the kind of how the image itself uh, is is kind of. Let me try and rephrase that. When you go back and look at your previous work, do you find that the difference between the effect of that image when you took it and its impact 
maybe 20 years later, is significant. And when you re-edit it for a more maybe sophisticated aesthetic, that that you find it even brings out more that connection you had to your past and where you are right now. You know, the, the interesting thing that happens is that I go back to some of the older photos and I, I mean, as as in a contact sheet, of course, I have other pictures that were taken at that same time around this, maybe just a few seconds before or after. And I discover sometimes that some of the work around it is much stronger than the stuff that I thought was the strong one back then. So I kind of rediscover similar photography that I now like much more because I look at the world in a different way. So I'm... I'm digging out things from my old contact sheets, so to speak. And, uh, I have the same experience, is, is looking at the contact sheets and going, well, what? this image is surely better than the one that I, yes. that I printed then. And, and of course, I mean, te technically, there is now different, better processing. Yeah. And of course, I, I, I can tickle images in a different way, and sometimes I do. But yeah... Um, It's it's in general a thing that I would suggest everyone who's, who's locked back home. Um, this is a good time to go over your portfolio and to to look at the photos and maybe go back to some of them and and see if maybe they they have changed or you have changed over time um, and re-edit and <laughs> and look at the pictures that are adjacent to those. I yeah. uh, I, I feel that as photographers we embrace. Um, discovering the world through our images and through the process of taking them or capturing them and making them, but also editing them, looking through uh, a series of pictures that you did, maybe 10, 20, in some cases, 100, and finding the image that best expresses where you're at at that moment. When you revisit that, the journey of discovery is continuing, and you're discovering things that may not have been that important to you when you shot them years ago, but have come out now as being much more resonant. Um, and part of that is just how you've changed or how the world's changed or your relationship with photography has changed. But it's, it's a great exercise to go back. Um, lately, I've been posting on, on Instagram my, many of the images I've shot worldwide that I just went in. These are not things that I have on my website, but they're more my street photography or travel photography. In some cases, they're just landscapes or cityscapes that I go and I'll just create that kind of global view and see uh, as they're posted, what is the common thread to learn something about myself and what attracts me to those images as a group or individually. So again, the journey of exploration and discovery is something that doesn't necessarily have to include a walk with your camera in the park. It could be just an examination of yourself through past images. <laughs> and I, I feel that that is certainly in this lockdown period, something that may be very valuable. And once more, we learn that 
the, our personal future of uh, photography might lie in our own past of photography. <laughs> exactly. That's, so I think that's that's where we're landing, right? I think that's a, that's a good closing <laughs> sentence here. It is. Um, Jeremiah, do you have a pick of the week? Well, I, I do. Uh, my pick of the week is really uh, a website, Irving Penn. Dot org and it's really the Irving Penn Foundation that tells you about the uh, the artist himself, the images, different kind of print types, which um, allows one to really examine the different ways of printing an image on the main page or certainly within it. You can find a single image that was printed in three different ways and its impact and effect. Um, they're galleries. He was also a great painter, and um, it's just a, a a great place to explore. Also, um, which I did not, I'll, I'll put this in, but the uh, the Getty Museum here, which has the most astounding collection uh, of photographs, um, both exhibited but 90 percent of it is you know behind closed doors um they're offering all kinds of ways to virtually explore uh their museum and their research facility and i encourage everybody to go to the getty uh which is here in la and and learn about um how past images affect future images um and and i you know we do that they just had a an exhibit of platinum palladium printing you know, about 70 or 80, that, that spanned from the very, very beginning to very, very modern. Um, that's really worth a worth a virtual travel. Um, so I encourage our listeners to do that. Those are my picks this week. Awesome. My pick is a photo, uh, or actually a, a, a couple of photos, and uh, they are by Jim Rakete, um, the photographer I talked about, and it is okay. So, so if you have a if you have an LP cover, uh, an album cover, the album flips open, and then you have this diptych between uh, the the front and the back of the album, pretty much like a white screen photo. And if you go to Google Image Search and you search for Nina Hagen cover, and uh, you will find her like the Nina Hagen band, the original cover shot by Jim Arcata. It's this pink colorized black and white with Nina Hagen with black lips and a cigarette uh, in her mouth and black hair. And if you if you scroll down that list of photos, you will find one that is um, wider, which shows the front and the back of the album flipped open. And it's not very large, but if you click into it, you can enlarge it a bit. And um, I, I don't know what it was, but what what you have in there is is first of all that that colorized photo on the front, and then you have the band, uh, Nina Hagen's band, on the back, uh, in front of a gritty brick wall kind of thing. And that front image, that pink colorized image, hangs as a poster on the wall of that picture on the back and for some reason that did something to me i just liked the way it was kind of a self-referential kind of picture on the back that included the front and that was that was something but when i was uh, how old was i maybe 13 14 i thought that was really deep so that's my pick of the week Great. Always good to go off on Nina Hagen 
We, we loved oh, totally. her. Yeah. <laughs> totally. Yeah. Yeah. She was, she was all in. Yeah, definitely. So that was it for this week of the Future Photography. Uh, we'll try to get the whole team together for the next episode. Um, we hope you enjoyed. And uh, we're, of course, on the web, thefutureofphotography.com, where you can find 123 other episodes of this show. We're on Twitter, at TFOBNOW. So if you have a question, if you want to comment on something, that's a good place to go. And we're, in, we're on Instagram, at TFOBNOW. Same thing, TFOBNOW. And uh, yeah, we hope to hear from you. And you'll hear from us in a week from now. Until then. And everybody... Wash your hands. Wash your hands. Take care. Bye. Stay healthy. Bye-bye. You've been listening to The Future of Photography, a production by Adrian Stock and Chris Marquardt. Subscribe to the show wherever you get your other podcasts. Find the show notes and more information at thefutureofphotography.com. Thank you.